section twenty five of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book three chapter twenty one part two some years had passed since ralph's prophecy had come true and perry and the remaining blackwoods had been relieved of the boyne street line the process need not be gone into in detail being the time-honoured one employed in the ribblevale affair of running down the line or perhaps it would be better to say showing it up it had not justified its survival in our efficient days it had held out thanks to perry with absurd and anachronous persistence against the inevitable consolidation mr tallant's newspaper had published many complaints of the age and scarcity of the cars etc and alarmed holders of securities in whose vaults they had lain since time immemorial began to sell i saw little of perry in those days as i have explained but one day i met him in the hambleton building and he was white your friends are doing this hugh he said doing what undermining the reputation of a company as sound as any in this city a company that's not overcapitalized either and we're giving better service right now than any of your consolidated lines he was in no frame of mind to argue with the conversation was distinctly unpleasant i don't remember what i said something to the effect that he was excited that his language was extravagant but after he had walked off and left me i told dickinson that he ought to be given a chance and one of our younger financiers murphy went to perry and pointed out that he had nothing to gain by obstruction if he were only reasonable he might come into the new corporation on the same terms with the others all that murphy got for his pains was to be ordered out of the office by perry who declared that he was being bribed to desert the other stockholders he utterly failed to see the point of view murphy reported in some astonishment to dickinson what else did he say mr dickinson asked murphy hesitated well what the banker insisted he wasn't quite himself said murphy who was a comparative newcomer in the city and had a respect for the blackwood name he said that that was the custom of thieves when they were discovered they offered to divide he swore that he would get justice in the courts mr dickinson smiled thus perry through his obstinacy and inability to adapt himself to new conditions had gradually lost both caste and money he resigned from the boyne club i was rather sorry for him tom naturally took the matter to heart but he never spoke of it i found that i was seeing less of him though we continued to dine there at intervals and he still came to my house to see the children maud continued to see lucia for me the situation would have been more awkward had i been less occupied had my relationship with Maud been a closer one. Neither did she mention Perry in those days, the income that remained to him being sufficient for him and his family to live on comfortably. He began to devote most of his time to various societies of a semi-public nature until, in the spring of which I write his activities, suddenly became concentrated in the organization of a citizen's union, 
whose avowed object was to make a campaign against graft and political corruption the following autumn this announcement and the call for a mass meeting in kingdon hall was received by the newspapers with a good-natured ridicule and in influential quarters it was generally hinted that this was mr blackwood's method of getting square for having been deprived of the boyne street line it was quite characteristic of ralph hambleton that he should go out of curiosity to the gathering at kingdon hall and drop into my office the next morning well hugh they're after you he said with a grin after me why not include yourself he sat down and stretched his long legs and his long arms and smiled as he gaped oh they'll never get me he said and i knew as i gazed at him that they never would what sort of things did they say i asked haven't you read the pilot and the mail and state i just glanced over them did they all call names call names i should say they did they got drunk on it worked themselves up like dervishes they didn't cuss you personally that'll come later of course judd jason got the heaviest shot but they said he couldn't exist a minute if it wasn't for the respectable crowd capitalists financiers millionaires and their legal tools fact is they spoke a good deal of truth first and last in a fool kind of way truth i exclaimed irritatedly ralph laughed he was evidently enjoying himself is any of it news to you hughie old boy it's an outrage i think it's funny said ralph we haven't had such a circus for years never had of course i shouldn't like to see you go behind the bars not that but you fellows can't expect to go on forever skimming off the cream without having somebody squeal some time you ought to be reasonable you've skimmed as much cream as anybody else you've skimmed the cream hughie you and dickinson and scherer and grierson and the rest i've only filled my jug well these fellows are going to have a regular roof-raising campaign take the lid off of everything dump out the red-light district some of our friends are so fond of dump it where i asked curiously oh answered ralph they didn't say out into the country anywhere but that's damned foolishness i declared didn't say it wasn't ralph admitted they talked a lot of that too incidentally they're going to close the saloons and dance halls and make this city sadder than heaven when they get through it'll all be over but the inquest what did perry do i asked well he opened the meeting made a nice precise gentlemanly speech greenhalge and a few young highbrows and a reformed crook named herod did most of the hair-raising they're going to nominate greenhalge for mayor and he told them something about that little matter of the school board and said he would talk more later on if one of the ablest lawyers in the city hadn't been hired by the respectable crowd and a lot of other queer work done the treasurer and purchasing agent would be doing time they seemed to be interested all right i turned over some papers on my desk just to show ralph that he hadn't succeeded in disturbing me who was in the audience anyone you ever heard of i asked 
Sure thing. Your cousin Robert Brack, and that son-in-law of his, what's his name, and some other representatives of our older families. Alec Pound, he's a reformer now, you know. They put him on the resolutions committee. Sam Ogilvy was there. He'd be classed as respectably conservative. And one of the Owenses, I could name a few others if you pressed me. That brother of Founds, who looks like an upstate minister. A lot of women. Miller Gorse's sister, Mrs. Datchett, who never approved of Miller. Quite a genteel gathering, I give you my word, and all astonished and mad as hell when the speaking was over. Mrs. Datchett said she had been living in a den of iniquity and vice and didn't know it. It must have been amusing, I said. It was, said Ralph. It'll be more amusing later on. Oh, yes, there was another fellow who spoke, I forgot to mention, that queer dick who was in your class, Krebs, got the school board evidence, looked as if he'd come in by freight. He wasn't as popular as the rest, but he's got more sense than all of them put together. Why wasn't he popular? Well, he didn't crack up the American people, said they deserved all they got, that they'd have to learn to think straight and be straight before they could expect a square deal. The truth was, they secretly envied these rich men who were exploiting their city, and just as long as they envied them, they hadn't any right to complain of them. He was going into the campaign to tell the truth, but to tell all sides of it, and if they wanted reform, they'd have to reform themselves first. I admire his nerve, I must say. He always had that, I remarked. How did they take it? Well, they didn't like it much, but I think most of them had a respect for him. I know I did. He has a whole lot of assurance, an air of knowing what he's talking about, and apparently he doesn't give a continental whether he's popular or not. Besides, Greenhalge had cracked him up to the skies for the work he'd done for the school board. You talk as if he'd converted you, I said. Ralph laughed as he rose and stretched himself. Oh, I'm only the intelligent spectator. You ought to know that by this time, Huey. But I thought it might interest you, since you'll have to go on the stump and refute it all. That'll be a nice job. So long. And he departed. Of course, I knew that he had been baiting me, his scent for the weaknesses of his friends being absolutely fiendish. I was angry because he had succeeded, because he knew he had succeeded. All the morning uneasiness possessed me, and I found it difficult to concentrate on the affairs I had in hand. I felt premonitions, which I tried in vain to suppress, that the tide of the philosophy of power and might were starting to ebb. I scented vague calamities ahead, calamities I associated with Krebs, and when I went out to the club for lunch, this sense of uneasiness, instead of being dissipated, was increased. Dickinson was there, and Scherer, who had just got back from Europe. The talk fell on the Citizens' Union, which Scherer belittled with an air of consequence and pompousness that struck me disagreeably, and with an eye newly critical, I detected in him a certain disintegration, deterioration. Having dismissed the reformers, he began to tell of his experiences abroad, referring in one way or another to the people of consequence who had entertained him. "'Who?' said Leonard Dickinson to me as we walked to the bank together. 
scherer will never be any good any more too much prosperity and he's begun to have his nails manicured after i had left the bank president an uncanny fancy struck me that in adolf scherer i had before me a concrete example of the effect of my philosophy on the individual nothing seemed to go right that spring and yet nothing was absolutely wrong at times i became irritated bewildered out of tune and unable to understand why the weather itself was uneasy tepid with long spells of hot wind and dust i no longer seemed to find refuge in my work i was unhappy at home after walking for many years in confidence and security along what appeared to be a certain path i had suddenly come out into a vague country in which it was becoming more and more difficult to recognize landmarks i did not like to confess this and yet i heard within me occasional whispers could it be that i hugh parrot who had always been so positive had made a mess of my life there were moments when the pattern of it appeared to have fallen apart resolved itself into pieces that refused to fit into each other of course my relationship with nancy had something to do with this one evening late in the spring after dinner maude came into the library are you busy hugh she asked i put down my newspapers because she went on as she took a chair near the table where i was writing i wanted to tell you that i've decided to go to europe and take the children to europe i exclaimed the significance of the announcement failed at once to register in my brain but i was aware of a shock yes when i asked right away the end of the month for the summer i haven't decided how long i shall stay i stared at her in bewilderment in contrast to the agitation i felt rising within me she was extraordinarily calm unbelievably so but where do you intend to go in europe i shall go to london for a month or so and after that to some quiet place in france probably at the sea where the children can learn french and german after that i have no plans but you talk as if you might stay indefinitely i haven't decided she repeated but why why are you doing this i would have recalled the words as soon as i had spoken them there was the slightest unsteadiness in her voice as she replied is it necessary to go into that hugh wouldn't it be useless as well as a little painful surely going to europe without one's husband is not an unusual thing in these days let it just be understood that i want to go that the children have arrived at an age when it will do them good i got up and began to walk up and down the room while she watched me with a silent calm which was incomprehensible in vain i summoned my faculties to meet it i had not thought her capable of such initiative i can't see why you want to leave me i said at last though with a full sense of the inadequacy of the remark and a suspicion of its hypocrisy that isn't quite true she answered 
in the first place you don't need me i'm not of the slightest use in your life i haven't been a factor in it for years you ought never to have married me it was all a terrible mistake i began to realize that after we'd been married a few months even when we were on our wedding trip but i was too inexperienced perhaps too weak to acknowledge it to myself in the last few years i have come to see it plainly i should have been a fool if i hadn't i'm not your wife in any real sense of the word i cannot hold you i cannot even interest you it's a situation that no woman with self-respect can endure aren't those rather modern sentiments for you maud i said she flushed a little but otherwise retained her remarkable composure i don't care whether they're modern or not i only know that my position has become impossible i walked to the other end of the room and stood facing the carefully drawn curtains of the windows fantastically they seemed to represent the impasse to which my mind had come did she intend ultimately to get a divorce i dared not ask her the word rang horribly in my ears though unpronounced and i knew then that i lacked her courage and the knowledge was part of my agony i turned don't you think you've overdrawn things maud exaggerated them no marriages are perfect you've let your mind dwell until it has become inflamed on matters which really don't amount to much i was never saner hugh she replied instantly and indeed i was forced to confess that she looked it that new maud i had seen emerging of late years seemed now to have found herself she was no longer the woman i had married yielding willing to overlook anxious to please living in me i don't influence you or help you in any way i never have oh that's not true i protested but she cut me short going on inexorably i am merely your housekeeper and rather a poor one at that from your point of view you ignore me i'm not blaming you for it you are made that way it's true that you have always supported me in luxury that might have been enough for another woman it isn't enough for me i too have a life to live a soul to be responsible for it's not for my sake so much as for the children's that i don't want it to be crushed crushed i repeated yes you are stifling it i say again that i'm not blaming you hugh you are made differently from me all you care for really is your career you may think that you care at times for other things but it isn't so i took involuntarily a deep breath would she mention nancy was it in reality nancy who had brought about this crisis and did maude suspect the closeness of that relationship suddenly i found myself begging her not to go the more astonishing since if at any time during the past winter this solution had presented itself to me as a possibility i should eagerly have welcomed it but should i ever have had the courage to propose a separation i even wished to delude myself now into believing that what she suggested was in reality not a separation 
i preferred to think of it as a trip a vision of freedom thrilled me and yet i was racked and torn i had an idea that she was suffering that the ordeal was a terrible one for her and at that moment there crowded into my mind melting me incident after incident of our past it seems to me that we've got along pretty well together maud i have been negligent i'll admit it but i'll try to do better in the future and if you'll wait a month or so i'll go to europe with you and we'll have a good time she looked at me sadly pityingly i thought no hugh i've thought it all out you really don't want me you only say this because you are sorry for me because you dislike to have your feelings wrung you needn't be sorry for me i shall be much happier away from you think it over maud i pleaded i shall miss you and the children i haven't paid much attention to them either but i am fond of them and depend upon them too she shook her head it's no use hugh i tell you i've thought it all out you don't care for the children you were never meant to have any aren't you rather severe in your judgments i don't think so she answered i'm willing to admit my faults that i am a failure so far as you are concerned your ideas of life and mine are far apart i suppose i exclaimed bitterly that you are referring to my professional practices a note of weariness crept into her voice i might have known that she was near the end of her strength no i don't think it's that she said dispassionately i prefer to put it down that part of it to a fundamental difference of ideas i do not feel qualified to sit in judgment on that part of your life although i'll admit that many of the things you have done in common with the men with whom you are associated have seemed to me unjust and inconsiderate of the rights and feelings of others you have shamed some of your best friends if i were to arraign you at all it would be on the score of heartlessness but i suppose it isn't your fault that you haven't any heart that's unfair i put in i don't wish to be unfair she replied only since you ask me i have to tell you that that is the way it seems to me i don't want to introduce the questions of right and wrong into this hue i'm not capable of unravelling it i can't put myself into your life and see things from your point of view weigh your problems and difficulties in the first place you won't let me i think i understand you partly but only partly you have kept yourself shut up but why discuss it i have made up my mind the legal aspect of the matter occurred to me what right had she to leave me i might refuse to support her yet even as these thoughts came i rejected them i knew that it was not in me to press this point and she could always take refuge with her father without the children of course but the very notion sickened me i could not bear to think of maud deprived of the children i had seated myself again at the table i put my hand to my forehead don't make it hard hugh i heard her say gently believe me it is best i know there won't be any talk about it right away at any time 
people will think it natural that i should wish to go abroad for the summer and later well the point of view about such affairs has changed they are better understood she had risen she was pale still outwardly composed but i had a strange hideous feeling that she was weeping inwardly aren't you coming back ever i cried she did not answer at once i don't know she said i don't know and left the room abruptly i wanted to follow her but something withheld me i got up and walked around the room in a state of mind that was near to agony taking one of the neglected books out of the shelves glancing at its meaningless print and replacing it i stirred at the fire opened the curtains and gazed out into the street and closed them again i looked around me a sudden intensity of hatred seized me for the big silent luxurious house i recalled maude's presentiment about it then thinking i might still dissuade her i went slowly up the padded stairway to find her door locked and the sense of the finality of her decision came over me i knew then that i could not alter it even were i to go all the lengths of abjectness nor could i i knew have brought myself to have feigned a love i did not feel what was it i felt i could not define it amazement for one thing that maude with her traditional christian view of marriage should have come to such a decision i went to my room undressed mechanically and got into bed she gave no sign at the breakfast-table of having made the decision of the greatest moment in our lives she conversed as usual asked about the news reproved the children for being noisy and when the children had left the table there were no tears reminiscences recriminations in spite of the slight antagonism and envy of which i was conscious that she was thus superbly in command of the situation that she had developed her pinions and was thus splendidly able to use them my admiration for her had never been greater i made an effort to achieve the frame of mind she suggested since she took it so calmly why should i be tortured by the tragedy of it perhaps she had ceased to love me after all perhaps she felt nothing but relief at any rate i was grateful to her and i found a certain consolation a sop to my pride in the reflection that the initiative must have been hers to take i could not have deserted her when do you think of leaving i asked two weeks from saturday on the olympic if that is convenient for you her manner seemed one of friendly solicitude you will remain in the house this summer as usual i suppose yes i said it was a sunny warm morning and i went downtown in the motor almost blithely it was the best solution after all and i had been a fool to oppose it at the office there was much business awaiting me yet once in a while during the day when the tension relaxed the recollection of what had happened flowed back into my consciousness maude was going i had telephoned nancy making an appointment for the afternoon 
sometimes not too frequently we were in the habit of going out into the country in one of her motors a sort of landaulet i believe in which we were separated from the chauffeur by a glass screen she was waiting for me when i arrived at four and as soon as we had shot clear of the city maud is going away i told her going away she repeated struck more by the tone of my voice than by what i had said she announced last night that she was going abroad indefinitely i had been more than anxious to see how nancy would take the news a flush gradually deepened in her cheeks you mean that she's going to leave you it looks that way in fact she as much as said so why said nancy well she explained it pretty thoroughly apparently it isn't a sudden decision i replied trying to choose my words to speak composedly as i repeated the gist of our conversation nancy with her face averted listened in silence a silence that continued some time after i had ceased to speak she didn't she didn't mention the sentence remained unfinished no i said quickly she didn't she must know of course but i'm sure that didn't enter into it nancy's eyes as they returned to me were wet and in them was an expression i had never seen before of pain reproach of questioning it frightened me oh hugh how little you know she cried what do you mean i demanded that is what has brought her to this decision you and i you mean that that maude loves me that she is jealous i don't know how i managed to say it no woman likes to think she is a failure murmured nancy well but she isn't really i insisted she could have made another man happy a better man it was all one of those terrible mistakes our modern life seems to emphasize so she is a woman nancy said with what seemed a touch of vehemence it's useless to expect you to understand do you remember what i said to you about her how i appealed to you when you married to try to appreciate her it wasn't that i didn't appreciate her i interrupted surprised that nancy should have recalled this she isn't the woman for me we aren't made for each other it was my mistake my fault i admit but i don't agree with you at all that we had anything to do with her decision it is just the the culmination of a long period of incompatibility she has come to realize that she has only one life to live and she seems happier more composed more herself than she ever has been since our marriage of course i don't mean to say it isn't painful for her but i am sure she isn't well that it isn't because of our seeing one another i concluded haltingly she is finer than either of us hugh far finer i did not relish the statement she's fine i admit but i can't see how under the circumstances any of us could have acted differently and nancy not replying i continued she has made up her mind to go i suppose i could prevent it by taking extreme measures 
but what good would it do isn't it after all the most sensible the only way out of a situation that has become impossible times have changed nancy and you yourself have been the first to admit it marriage is no longer what it was and people are coming to look upon it more sensibly in order to perpetuate the institution as it was segregation insulation was the only course men segregated their wives women their husbands the only logical method of procedure but it limited the individual our mothers and fathers thought it scandalous if husband or wife paid visits alone it wasn't done but our modern life has changed all that a marriage to be a marriage should be proof against disturbing influences should have the individuals free the binding element should be love not the force of an imposed authority you seemed to agree to all this yes i know she admitted but i cannot think that happiness will ever grow out of unhappiness but maude will not be unhappy i insisted she will be happier far happier now that she has taken the step oh i wish i thought so nancy exclaimed hugh you always believe what you want to believe and the children how can you bear to part with them i was torn i had a miserable sense of inadequacy i shall miss them i said i've never really appreciated them i admit i don't deserve to have them and i am willing to give them up for you for maud we had made one of our favourite drives among the hills on the far side of the ashuela and at six were back at nancy's house i did not go in but walked slowly homeward up grant avenue it had been a trying afternoon i had not expected indeed that nancy would have rejoiced but her attitude her silences betraying as they did compunctions seemed to threaten our future happiness end of section twenty five